0: Welcome to Addicted to Murder. This is Courtney, licensed professional counselor with more than ten years of experience. And this is Trisha
1: and my stomach was very borborgamous before I ate. Baborgamous.
0: That's quite the word.
1: Yeah, it just means like when your tummy is rumbling. Oh. Because you're hungry or maybe because you ate too much. It's like gases and juices in there making noises. It's very borborgamous. That's
0: a much more fun way of saying it, I think.
1: I think so, too. It's like, you know, it sounds all fancy and, you know, clinical.
0: It does. Yeah. So welcome to Addicted to
1: Murder, Like Courtney Said, and we are on Richard Ramirez Part 2. And um, before we get into our question, I'm just going to stop for a some- um, second. Yeah, so I just, sorry, we uh, had some audio problems earlier. This is actually our second taping of this podcast
0: So hopefully we'll do it just
1: as good. But we did switch up questions and fun words because we wanted it to be a surprise. We always do. Yes. Um, And actually, speaking of this Night Stalker thing, Courtney, um, she just sent me a link to an article of our local paper where a woman woke up to see a man outside her window looking in.
0: No, a man standing in her doorway of her bedroom. Oh,
1: in her bedroom.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: At, like, 7 in the morning, wasn't it?
0: Something like that, yeah. And, like,
1: that is fricking scary.
0: It is. I don't think they've caught him that either.
1: Is, I mean, that's that's just, like, Richard Ramirez right there, what he becomes later on.
0: Although this person was described as kind of short and fat,
1: so. Oh. Well, okay. So the antithesis body-wise. Yes. But mm-hmm. anyhow, so that's super scary. Um but before we get into more Richard, Courtney, our question time is now, and my question for you is, what was your favorite Halloween costume?
0: Ah, uh, yes, because it's October now, so we can officially it start is. talking it's about October. Halloween.
1: October 1st, as of this recording.
0: So, I think my favorite Halloween costume I've ever had was um, one year, I went as Jessica Rabbit from Who Framed Roger Rabbit? So I had an old prom dress of mine that was all red and sparkly, and I got the, like, orangish-red wig and the purple elbow gloves and the whole deal. Were you wearing very tall shoes? I was wearing very tall shoes. She wore very tall shoes. I had some pretty nice um, four-inch heels from this time that I was in a play where I was a Barbie. Oh, to break those out again.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I would love to see that. So I think that maybe you should post that on our Instagram or Facebook. All
0: right. I will if you post yours. Okay. Whatever so, that is. Yeah,
1: mine is um, it was actually kind of recent. Like five, six years ago, I was a siren. So like, you know, like an evil mermaid. I mean, they're not evil. They just lure sailors to their deaths. That's all. Because they're lonely. Right. Yeah. Um, And I actually had the creepy contacts they were like you know i actually have to wear contacts at times so they actually were prescriptions so i thought i'd be okay but they hurt by the end of the night Mm -hmm. so when i have a new respect for people in the movies when they're wearing contacts i mean they i might have just been a freak but they hurt
0: i don't like the idea of anything going in my eye ever
1: well you're lucky that you don't need do you have like perfect vision yes oh well so far just wait
0: that's what I hear.
1: Because <laughs> <laughs> I did for a long time, yeah. too. And now it's like, I don't have terrible vision, but I need it, yeah. you know, to, mm-hmm. to see, to drive and
0: stuff yeah. like that. Technically, at least the last time or a time when I was tested when I was young, I had better than perfect vision. Like 2010? Mm-hmm. That's like how my dad was. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Well, maybe you'll be spared. We'll see. Don't Everyone don't. else in my family wears glasses. I mean, it's so. just
1: like when you get older. It's just one of those things that starts to dwindle. Mm-hmm. And I've had friends who have gotten the um, surgery and, you know, the... Oh, like LASIK? The LASIK. And 10 years down, like later, their eyes are failing again. Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't last forever. Yeah. So. Anyways, we'll see. Yeah. So, do you want to... Oh, good question, Trisha. Mm-hmm. I'm congratulating myself. <laughs> it
0: was a good question. And... <laughs> Lee, yeah, we'll post something up on social media and you can all see us in our fantastic costumes.
1: Yeah, and then maybe um, tell us what your favorite costumes were because I always need ideas. Mm -hmm. I have one in mind for this Halloween and it's very simple because that's usually the way I go. Mm -hmm. So we'll see if I decide to stick with it.
0: Got it. I don't have any ideas yet. So if anyone wants to give me some ideas, I'm open to that too. Yes,
1: totally. Um, So... Richard Ramirez, part one. Do you want to do a brief overview before I take us down his dark and seedy path?
0: Yes. So last week we started learning all about Mr. Richard Ramirez. um, And we started learning about his family, um, that he comes from a Mexican-American family with a father that comes from a long line of abusive fathers. um, And it did not stop at him, unfortunately. And... um, You know, they lived in El Paso, and Richard and all of his siblings were exposed to chemicals and possibly nuclear fallout, and got into drugs from a very young age, and, you know, were victims of pretty terrible physical abuse from their father, and then, you know, as Richard is growing up, he has multiple concussions, he ends up having a seizure disorder, And then he becomes good friends with his cousin, Miguel. His
1: much older cousin.
0: Yes. So Richard now is, I don't know, 9, 10, Hmm. hanging out with his adult cousin who came back from Nam and shared all sorts of disturbing and gory details about the atrocities that, you know, he committed in Vietnam, including sexual assault and murder and all sorts of terrible things. And then at 12... Richard saw his beloved cousin murder his wife right in front of him. Yep. And that was obviously a very traumatic thing for him. Mm -hmm. And so cousin went away to a mental health facility rather than jail. Um, Although I personally think that his mental illness was BS. But, (laughs) you know, I didn't know him, so I can't say for sure. True. And so we left off about there, where um, Richard now, age 12, 13, is wanting to go to California to hang out with his older brother.
1: Very thorough.
0: Thank you, Courtney. There was a lot that was important.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot in his life. That's why we kind of started, like, even before he was born, to really try to paint this picture. So at this time, Ruben is now, you know, doing heroin in Los Angeles. He used to sniff glue and do all that other stuff back home. To provide money for his habit, he did get you know the occasional odd job, but primarily he stole cars and he burgled houses. He slowed down the heroin a bit after his wife Susanna had a child, and this is when Richard came to visit. So when Richard came out to L.A., he was excited by the big city and all the money and the glamour and you know all of that, and you know he apparently figured the only way he would able be. Ever be able to acquire his own wealth was by stealing it. He had no real ambition to work the regular way or to make an honest living. In fact, soon after Miguel had killed Jesse, Richard started to rob more and more houses back home. It gave him a high and it excited him sexually. Richard was only 13 when he went to LA and he was already adept at breaking and entering. He was tall and thin and he was very sneaky. Because he was so tall, he was able to get into the triple X movie houses and was readily exposed to hardcore, hardcore pornography, which our good friend, I don't know why I say good friend, which our, um, Ted Bundy has told us before was the gateway to all things terrible. Right. Right.
0: Because he cared
1: about that. Right. (laughs) That was like his message before his dying message. Um, so You know, Richard very much enjoyed going to these theaters and he spent many afternoons, you know, perusing the sex scene of downtown L.A. And Rubin expanded on Richard's knowledge of how to break in and he learned how to pick more locks and do other criminal acts. And when Richard returned home, he kind of was just done with, you know, school, following the rules, you know, following society's norms catholic church upbringing like all of it by ninth grade he had failed every class except for p.e which he got an a in richard was by now an avid hunter so that was something that his dad taught him and you know so they must have had that in common and but you know partner that with miguel's training richard was a really good shot with a firearm he didn't really have anyone to hunt with so he often went by himself and he got a thrill out of killing and then gutting the animals so by this time, Richard and Julian were just not getting along at all. He was constantly in trouble, and subsequently, you know, his he was hit by his father because of all of his bad behavior. And it got to the point that Richard stopped sleeping at home at all. He actually started to sleep in the cemetery. He found it peaceful and quiet, and he would continue this habit for a long time. Now, his sister Ruth... Um, she ended up getting married, and she got married to a man named Roberto, and Richard moved in with them when he was 13. And Ruth's husband was a bit of a sex addict. He was insatiable with Ruth, and she found it difficult to keep up with his sexual demands, and so he started to, you know, peep in on neighbors. And apparently, it sounds like he preferred watching strangers having sex than having sex with his own wife. And Richard began to go out with Roberto, so on you know on their nightly voyeuristic expeditions. And Ruth found out. And when she found out, she threatened to leave if they did not stop. So they stopped for a little while. But then Roberto started back ag- up again. So he and Ruth did separate within you know two years of them being married. Being married. So even after R- Roberto moved out, Richard did continue what he and Roberto had started, but he went by himself. He would sneak into the houses, he'd watch people sleep, and then he started to start to take LSD, mushrooms, peyote, and he slept even less than he did prior to doing these drugs, and he continued to be a peeping Tom, and now he was high on all sorts of um, hallucinogenic substances, and he felt that while he was on these hallucinogenic journeys that he was communicating with Satan. Courtney, I just keep forgetting how young Richard is. So like, look at all of the things he's been exposed to. And he's only 15 years old. Please give us your insight on his mental state and if there's anything else you want to talk about.
0: It certainly is a lot for one person, let alone a person who's still in their you know, early teen years. So we're talking physical abuse, potentially sexual abuse, witnessing extreme violence, including a murder, seeing sexually violent materials, drug abuse and being actively taught how to commit crimes. And all of these things are being very much normalized um, for him by the people he trusted and looked up to, right? These were his family members that we were that were showing him mm-hmm. these things. Um, and so by the time Richard even approached adulthood, his belief systems about the world and right and wrong were so badly skewed from, you know, what would be typical, That he really, I think, just had no chance of living any sort of quote normal life. It kind of seems like
1: Richard didn't really have a childhood, like was like able to be a child. He was exposed to so many adult things from such an early age that you know. I just, I, I don't just feel bad for him,
0: but yeah, little you know, childhood, you know, Richie Mm -hmm. was you know, sort of robbed of a lot of his childhood. Exactly. I I mean, the
1: only time that I really, like, thought of him being a normal kid was when the book described him as, like, he liked to dance all the time. Everything else that was described, I mean, of course, it's not going into every single thing that happened to him. Everything else was described was, like, very adult things that he was exposed to all the time. So anyhow just just an observation so during this time Miguel was not want Miguel his cousin the one that killed Jesse was not wanting his children raised by Jesse's mother while he was in the mental hospital so he convinced Julian to try to get custody custody of the kids and it turns out that Jesse's mother was into dark magic and she paid a macabre barrow uh, which is like I guess like a Mexican Spanish. Um, medicine man or something like that to put a curse on Julian after this curse was made Julian did get sick so at first he was just really tired but then he stopped eating and then he started to kind of wither away Julian was admitted to the hospital and they they couldn't find anything wrong with him they ran all sorts of tests he saw all kinds of specialists and they just could not figure it out so eventually Julian started to lose his memory and he couldn't even remember his kids names when they came and visited him so, Mercedes had clergymen come and say prayers and use holy water, you know, anything to combat the evil from the curse that was placed on him, but that didn't help either. So, after this, Mercedes became really desperate. She went to a very different but very famous macabero, but this one was like a white magic one. So, unlike the original uh, macabero who placed the curse, this other macabero went to the hospital. And he did his ritual, similar to what I imagine an exorcism would be like. And with an hour of him leaving, Julian was actually up, and eating, and on his way to a full recovery. He had been in the hospital for three weeks, declining. And within an hour of this holy man's ritual, he was—they described him pretty much back to his old self. So after this, though, Julian Mercedes gave custody to Jesse's grandmother. They just did not want anything to do with this family anymore with um, with Jesse's grand or Jesse's mom so apparently to this day those children don't remember their mother being killed so they were there when it happened Courtney I don't really know what occurred here. I'm in no place to say what is possible and what's not. But let's just use this as an example of the power of, you know, mind over the body, mind over matter. Do you have anything you can tell us about how this type of thing occurs if we assume that, you know, no evil or curses were actually involved?
0: So there's actually one uh, mental health condition known as conversion disorder which might explain what happened to Julian. So conversion disorder Um, describes an episode in which a person has neurological symptoms um, that might impact things like motor functioning, sensory experiences, and cognitive problems. But it can't be attributed to any sort of like medical condition, so all the tests come back negative. Um, And so often this will look like a person who might have pseudo-seizures, they might have muscle weakness, or even paralysis... Um, They might have vision or hearing changes, and they may become, like, unresponsive or in and out of consciousness. There's not a lot of information or understanding of really what causes conversion disorder, but um, it does seem to be linked to times of severe stress and is more likely to occur in people who have experienced significant abuse, um, both of which I think pretty easily can describe Julian in the situation. Mm -hmm. Um, And then as for coming out of it, I think, you know, the the good old placebo effect might be at play here, Mm -hmm. right? Which sort of is the idea that if you, like, believe a sort of treatment is going to help you, that you will see improvement in your symptoms.
1: So, I mean, the placebo effect kind of is mind over matter sometimes, I feel like. Right. Because your mind convinces your body, you know, which, whatever, if it works, it works. Mm -hmm. Right.
0: And especially with a situation like conversion disorder where it Mm -hmm. is some kind of, like, mental block that's affecting, like, the physical body. It's interesting. Yeah.
1: Okay. Well, so, Courtney, this next part freaked me out. So my behavior is going to change going forward when I'm in a hotel. So, you know, Richard... Our voyeuristic, on his way to becoming a sexual sadist, Ramirez, got a job at the Holiday Inn. And he was 15 at the time. He was sort of like a bellboy, but he also did small odd jobs in the hotel as well. And his first run in with trouble didn't really sound that bad to me. I guess he told a girl that, that she was pretty while they were in an elevator together. She was like, thanks. But then she went and told her mom, who told the manager, who then reprimanded Richard for, quote, flirting with the guests, After three months of working at the hotel, Richard acquired a master key from an ex-employee of the hotel. So at first, Richard would just use this key to go into an empty room and then he'd look through the windows of the rooms that had people in them. But he slowly got braver and he started to sneak into the guest rooms while the guests were in there sleeping and he would just watch them. He then went a step further and started stealing items while the guests were sleeping. And so, you know, he must have been super quiet, Courtney, to be able to do this.
0: Well, I mean, he'd been trained for many years. In, right. You know, the art of breaking and entering. hmm He was stealthy AF.
1: He started entering the rooms when the guests were awake, and he would watch women shower. So one night, he waited till about 1 o'clock in the morning, and there was a woman he had been watching, and um, he knew she was getting ready for bed. So he snuck in and hid in the closet. When she came out of the bathroom, he snuck up behind her, gagged her with a piece of her underwear, and got her to the ground. Richard then tied her up and took off her clothes and started to rape her when, thank goodness, her husband walked into the room. So apparently she knew her husband would be back any minute, and that's why she didn't, you know, put up a huge struggle. She didn't want to get hurt because she figured that this wouldn't last very long. So her husband was a huge man, and he beat the shit out of Richard, knocked him unconscious and everything. Richard was arrested, taken to the hospital, and then to jail. He, from this fight, or beat down, got another concussion and needed 30 stitches to close a gash in his mouth because he got smacked in the mouth. And when the police called his mom, Mercedes, her and Ruth, or she and Ruth, went to the hospital to see Richard, who told them that the woman had invited her in, him in and that her husband went berserk, it wasn't his fault, and they believed him. Richard, again, was only 15 years old, so he was released into his mom's custody. He never went to trial because the woman was so traumatized from the event that she didn't want to testify in front of him. They also lived out of state. They weren't gonna. They didn't want to come back to California. Um, the case so was dropped because of that. Richard was never charged. He never received any therapy or any consequences
0: for what he had done. Courtney, honestly, it's it's not surprising at all that Richard would you know, start with sexually assaulting others from such a young age, especially given the, you know, quote, education that he received from his cousin Miguel and his, you know, brother-in-law Roberto. It is unfortunate, however, that he did not have any legal consequences because this allowed him to believe that he could get away with serious crimes like this, and it allowed his family members to continue to believe that he was not as troubled as he actually in fact was all right so miguel the one who shot his wife in the face because
1: she nagged him well he got out after only four and a half years in the mental hospital so i guess he was cured of the quote ptsd that caused him to snap like he did so when this happened richard and miguel immediately picked up from where they left off and they were always together miguel felt it was his duty to prepare richard for the real world Richard was still thieving, and he even got the name Dados, uh, which means fingers. Sorry if I mispronounced that. He was still doing hallucinogenic drugs, and apparently he would see monsters raping people when he was doing these drugs, and he enjoyed watching this in his head play out. Richard did get a kind of a girlfriend when he was 17. Her name was Nancy, and she was two years younger than him. They would often have sex in the cemetery at the spot that Richard used to sleep at when he was escaping his abusive father. So at age 18, Richard boarded a bus and left El Paso for good. He was headed back to Los Angeles. He had always wanted to go back, and he saw it as a place where he could make a ton of money by stealing and by selling drugs. His first year there, though, a couple of things happened. He became estranged from his brother Ruben because Ruben's wife accused Richard of coming on to her, and he also got hooked on cocaine. He started by snorting the cocaine, but then he began to shoot it up as, you know, he had seen his brothers do this in front of him since he was a kid. So to support his now growing habit, Richard stole more and more um, and, you know, stuff that he could sell so he could buy his cocaine. And after a little over a year, he started stealing and sleeping in cars. He then started to do PCP, which, um, or yeah, sorry, he then started to do PCP, and one day He was hanging out with a a woman who was doing PCP with him and they went to her place. They were there for a few hours and then Richard tried to put the moves on her, but she turned him down and eventually kicked him out. So he was pissed off by this. He climbed up to the top of her apartment building, then went down the fire escape and broke into her house where he repeatedly raped her. He left at dawn feeling powerful. Courtney. So this was his first successful violent crime that we know of. Um, You know, he did attempt to rape the woman at the Holiday Inn, but, you know, that didn't end well for him. Do you have anything you want to talk about?
0: I'd say that it's pretty clear at this point that the connection between violence and sexual gratification is pretty much solidified in Richard's psyche. So that, you know, tingle of arousal he described um, that first started when he witnessed his aunt being murdered was then strengthened during the attempted rape when he was 15, and has now been cemented kind of during this sexual assault. And then if you take all of that and add on the increased aggression, strength, and feelings of invincibility that are associated with being high on PCP, I would imagine that that feeling of power he described would be just intoxicatingly strong and addictive.
1: Right, and we haven't really seen this with the other clears we looked at as far as Being this high while doing, committing these crimes, right? I mean, we have most of them seem to have some sort of substance abuse problem, but PCP is like a whole new ball game.
0: Right, it works so much differently than Mm -hmm. any other. I mean, it's the drugs out there.
1: Yeah, I mean, it gives you like, kind of gives you superhuman strength, or at least you feel like you do. But I've heard of people who have been on Angel Dust and have done huge feats of strength.
0: Right, exactly. It's like a giant adrenaline rush. Yeah, that's scary. <laughs> so um, Anton Levey
1: was the founder of the Church of Satan in San Francisco. Richard discovered the teaching of this ex-circus animal trainer. That's what he used to do. And he actually went to San Francisco to meet him in person. Richard said he went to a ceremony um, where LaVey was you know, doing his thing. Everyone there was naked. And um, they did something involving an unclothed body of a woman, some sort of ceremony where she was laying down. And during that ceremony, Richard had felt that he really connected with Satan and that Satan was there. And um, I guess it really shook him. Richard then read both of LaVey's books and I guess he changed. Um, he became more withdrawn, no longer smiling or dropping the occasional joke. He seemed to become more dangerous now that he had participated in this new lifestyle. Richard agreed with his cellmate that he acquired later on when he was stealing a car, who had this to say. So this is a quote from the cellmate regarding Satanism. Quote, You don't ever have to feel guilty about anything. The only law is that you are true to your inner self. If you want to kill somebody, that's okay. Okay. What's bad for them is good for us. Get it? So, Courtney, I feel like this ideology, or at least this interpretation of this ideology, is just a way to justify um, sociopathic behavior. I mean, we know that most sociopaths and psychopaths have no remorse, no moral compass, and here we have an interpretation of this theology that gives permission, even encourages antisocial behavior. Um, So, I, I don't know, it just seems like really selfish scapegoat to me, but I suppose there could be arguments for other types of religion that seem to be self-serving. What do you think?
0: Well, you know, violence in the name of religion is far too common in history, particularly involving Western religions. Um, I actually took a whole class about this in college and could probably go on about it for a while, but I will spare all of you that. Um, So... I do want to be clear that when it comes to modern day Satanism, um, the sort of popular groups like the Church of Satan is sort of the main one, um, are largely atheist and promote things like individualism and acceptance of all people. And they do not have any history of violence or promoting violence in others. Um, so just wanted to put that out there. Mm-hmm. There is, you know, on a much smaller scale, however, individuals and small groups who believe in a more theistic Satan. So they believe in the Satan from, you know, the Christian Bible. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're more rare, and we just don't know as much about their practices because they're not as widely publicized. And so in Richard's case, um, I think it is interesting to just look at the juxtaposition um, between how strongly he really fell into believing in this more theistic Satanism um, when his family was so staunchly Catholic. And at least from my perspective, it does seem to me that Richard had genuine belief in the figure of Satan and his power to, you know, answer prayers and rule the afterlife and, you know, all of that stuff. And it was just as genuine as you know, his mother's belief in, you know, the Christian God and the Catholic teachings um, and the powers that supposedly he had. Um, You know, with all all other, you know, major religions, like most Satanists are not serial killers, um, but it certainly could kind of prove a a convenient reason or a convenient justification to act on violent impulses. Mm -hmm. Just as we've seen, you know, other religious followers have justified horrific behaviors, um, you know, thinking the first one that comes to mind is Warren Jeffs, um, for example, from the LDS Church.
1: Well, as far as the Satanism goes, he became what is known as a lone practitioner of Satanism, and he did not trust groups of satan- Satanists um, or even LaVey, as he thought that they might be infiltrated with police. And, you know, I bet some of this paranoia comes from his drug, re- drug use. At this time, he was increasing his cocaine use. He was stealing more cars. He was, um, you know, frequenting more sex workers. He stopped really caring about his hygiene. He started to have a really stinky smell. Um, he ingested a ton of sugar, and he did not care for his teeth. And anyone who has, like, really done much research on Richard Ramirez knows that he has gross teeth. So when the book that we've been using um, came out, it it was kind of an older book, I suppose, but the first murder victim had yet to be discovered. So the book started with what, at the time, they thought was this first murder victim. But in 2009, DNA was proven to be Richard Ramirez's um, at a very disturbing crime scene. So on April 10th, 1984, two months prior to when we originally thought he started murdering people, a pair of young siblings were looking for a lost dollar bill in the hotel they were living in that Richard was also staying at when they encountered a man. This man told the little girl, nine-year-old Mei Ling, a Chinese-American child, to come with him down to the basement to find the the dollar. Her brother did not accompany them. Down in the basement, Mei Ling was raped and then stabbed to death and then hung from a ceiling pipe by a piece of her own clothing. Her death at the time was considered to be, quote, ritualistic style. This was in the area and the time when Richard seemed to be, you know, really committing himself to this new satanic lifestyle. And Later, uh, in 2016, there was a second sample of DNA identified from that same crime scene, but it has not been made public of who it's linked to because the sample was just not good enough to hold up in court, Um, but it was of another man. So, Courtney, Richard does not offer up this victim at any time through his trials and all of that. It's not surprising because he wasn't the most forthcoming of people. However, he was linked to many child kidnappings during his later murder spray that we will talk about, and he adamantly denied those. Do you want to speculate on why this is? Do you think he felt ashamed of child murder and rape? Do you think it was because he knew that those types of felons had a tougher time in prison? Maybe it had something to do with not upsetting his family further? Also, I mean, I guess we see he's crossed the threshold from rape to murder, and he did so very soon after being involved into the, in that Satanistic
0: ritual. Do you think he acted alone as well? Anything else? Well, that was a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so I will answer what I can. Um, I don't think that Richard was ashamed of his crimes against children. Um, he didn't seem the type to really be ashamed of, of any of the things that he did. But he was pretty smart. Like, I know he failed school, but mm-hmm. if he had tried, right, he would have done really well. Um, so I think that he understood how admitting to harming children would have just changed the game for him and changed how people like his family and the media – and his adoring fans, you know, would think of him, right? So somehow, you know, many people can justify the hurting or even killing of adults, but those same people are not able to extend that same justification for hurting kids. Um, And so there is this phrase that um, one of the hosts of another podcast, which I really love, it's called Anatomy of Murder, highly recommended if you haven't listened to it, Um, and she's an attorney. It's sort of her job. Um, And something she says a lot is, you know, admit what you must, deny what you can. And so I think this applies here. So Richard eventually admitted to the killings from his, you know, spree only after he was convicted in court. Uh, Like prior to court, you know, he pled not guilty. Mm -hmm. Um, And the charges of kidnapping and the child sexual abuse were dropped before the trial started so he was never um, accused of these in court and he was never convicted of these crimes so there's no reason for him to ever admit to them
1: um and as far as uh, him acting alone do you what do you think i mean it's purely speculation do you think that dna sample really indicated that someone might have been there with him or do you think now he did this on his own
0: I think it's so hard to tell because we just don't know like, where was this DNA sample mm-hmm. found? Was it found? Right. Like, who was it? In was or it on someone? the body? Was it just like in the area? Because right. it could have come from anybody.
1: Right. And like, who was it? Was it someone he was known to hang
0: out with? <laughs> right. And I mean, <laughs> he stayed in some of the really sketchy hotels. He like, mm-hmm. he stayed at the Cecil. I know, right? Right. Which there are all the stories about. Mm-hmm. And so. You know, who knows who else maybe found or encountered the body. Right. Well, so after this murder,
1: it appears that Richard got a taste for it. And on June 28, 1984, a 79-year-old was his second victim. He broke into her apartment and stabbed her to death while she lay sleeping. In fact, he cut her throat so savagely that it almost separated from her body. Her name was Jenny Vincow. Now, Richard had selected this apartment because he wanted to steal some money for his drugs and whatnot, and he broke in through a window. He had to remove one of his gloves to get the screen out, and he left a partial print there. Jenny was pretty poor, and I guess when he saw what was in her apartment, he grew angry. Um, Because of this anger, and maybe just because by now he had a taste for the power and sexual excitement, he decided to murder this old sleeping lady. Afterward, he stayed for about an hour, releasing his sexual tension drank several glasses of water, stole a clock radio, and exited the building. He then got into his stolen car and left the scene. This was all about 5 a.m. The next day, Jenny's son found her in this terrible state and notified the police. So this was the first murder in the Los Angeles era, area done by Richard Ramirez, who would later be known as the Night Stalker. However, at the time, the police did not know this was just the beginning of one of the biggest murder sprees in the state. Courtney?
0: I'd say, you know, this is where Richard really makes that shift from troubled, traumatized kid with some violent and criminal tendencies to full-blown serial killer. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and we also see, I think, around this time is when that belief in in Satan was really taking hold. Mm -hmm. And while he was committing his crimes, he started to think of, like, Satan would be proud of me mm-hmm. if I do these things these terrible things that will please him and we'll see mm-hmm. as we learn more about you know his murder spree next week um how much of a role that plays
1: yeah and he also thought Satan would protect him help yes. him get away with things and he got away with things for quite a while but
0: right so, so far that had worked
1: yeah so okay well that is where we're going to stop today um Anything else you want to say before we do our sign-up?
0: Well, just that if you oh, yeah, continue <laughs> to enjoy listening to us um, and want to offer your support, your comments, your likes, your follows, subscriptions, reviews, all of those things, you can get a hold of us through our social media. So if you want to shoot us an email, you can find us at addictedtomurderpodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram at AddictedToM Podcast, or you can connect with us on Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube at Addicted To Murder Podcast. Very nice, Courtney. You did that flawlessly. Thank you. I've been practicing.
1: <laughs> All right, everyone, um, stay safe, and we'll see you next Tuesday. Bye. Bye.